0: If you haven't checked out Waxo yet, I encourage you to do so. Waxo, W-A-X-O-H.com is where I submit a lot of blog posts that give you a little more insights to Um, what the guests have shared on Something Positive for Positive People, as well as a little bit more about my personal experience. Um, One of the most recent articles that I posted on there has been about rejection and detaching yourself from it and understanding that any experience you have with rejection is just the other person declining what it is that you have to offer. And it's not them declining, rejecting you as a person. So, I encourage you to go and check that out. I was really, really proud about this. If you can't hear it in my voice, that's how excited I was. So, um, just please go support them. Check them out. And as you know, I'm a Dating Positive Spokesperson. This is a website that you can find love, friendship, sex, intimacy, whatever it is that you're looking for. Just be upfront about whatever it is, please. Like, don't deceive people. That's a very shoddy thing to do. Um, Also, this episode is featuring someone... A little bit different. I've told you guys before in past episodes that I wanted to switch up the podcast just a little bit and make it be more useful and encourage people to feel more safe. Engaging with it and sharing it. So, if you listen to this episode and you like it, I encourage you to just please leave us a review and let us know that you liked it or didn't like it. And you can even DM me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. At H on my chest, and let me know what you thought of it. If you want more of this, or if I need to just stick to interviewing people who have herpes and HIV and asking them about their experience. So, um, I know it's challenging to be willing to open up and express, uh, or touch base with me even about this podcast. So I appreciate everyone who does reach out to me and engage with me because it does fuel the fire a little bit within me, letting me know that people are listening. People are getting some value out of this, uh, Saturday, March 9th, 2019 I will be doing a live podcast recording for Ignite Intimacy at South by Southwest. Thank you to everybody who voted. Ashley, Manta, Laura, Aisha, and myself are going to be doing a live podcast recording at South by Southwest at the JW Marriott Room 207 at 9.30 AM this upcoming Saturday. I'm recording this podcast, well I'm uploading this podcast a little bit sooner than normal. Today is Wednesday, March 6th. Usually I post Thursday evening, Friday morning Um, just to have it up there Uh, For everybody to be able to download But since I'm going to be traveling here shortly To South by Southwest I actually leave tomorrow Sierra and I I wanted to be sure that this was uploaded And good to go And ready to listen to Ahead of time So The conversation that we're going to have At South by Southwest It'll be uploaded to the Ignite Intimacy podcast feed And it's all about making disclosure sexy What does that mean? Well, disclosing itself Can be a very dreadful thing And depending on how you look at it It can be seen as something daunting dreadful, or it can be the most useful tool ever to open up conversations about sexual health, negotiating sexual pleasures, kinks, do's, don'ts, and likes and dislikes. So we got to be able to use this to open up the floor for conversation about that kind of stuff and create a safe space for both parties to express their experiences with STDs. Like That's flat out what it is. So we want to be able to make that conversation a little more accepting and we want to remove the negative connotation from it because it's a necessary conversation. So stick around for that. I'll share when it's uploaded and let everybody know. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Let me know what you think by leaving us a rating or review. I'm on Instagram, most active there, at H on my chest, but all other social media, except for Facebook, um, at H on my chest. Or you can find me at Courtney Brame on Facebook. I'm wearing a Given 100 t-shirt and it's three black dudes as my cover photo. I'm the one with the long hair, don't care. So welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. Today's <laughs> guest is a little bit different. As I've been saying a lot lately. But <laughs> we are gonna be talking about self compassion. I'm here with Ariel. You wanna say your last
1: name? A travelstead. What? It's a bramzik Travelstead. Is
0: High it your stated. middle and last name?
1: No, it's a hyphen oh, last shit. name and not due to marriage.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Say it one more time.
1: Ariel a Travelstead.
0: All right. What is that? Is that what's it's the, German. Oh, it's German?
1: German and American.
0: Oh, okay. Which part's American? Travelstead. Oh, I've never heard that before.
1: It sounds pretty redneck to me.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's because oh. I'm from the country.
0: Oh. So I brought Ariel on. I recently went and sat in a presentation that she gave about self-compassion, and that's something that's very important for anyone who's listening to this podcast or finds their way here after a new herpes diagnosis or an HIV diagnosis or if you just stumbled across this podcast because the title stood out to you, Something Positive for Positive People, and you have no idea that this is about SCIs. So you're going to get a hint of self-compassion today. Um, To date, our most popular episode is... The one on self-acceptance so I wanted to do something where we were able to add more to that because that seems to be something that a lot of people are gravitating towards and it's been very useful I've gotten a lot of feedback from people about that particular episode and what we dove into there but um, this one's not experience based per se uh, from an SCI standpoint but I wanted to give area space here Because this is what she does and she can give us a few tips and takeaways that we can take into our daily life and be able to apply to whatever it is that we're going through in order to be able to um, treat ourselves with self-compassion and take care of ourselves. Because that's the most important thing that we can do in the beginning here, Um, STI positive or not, is to be able to learn early to take care of yourself since we're just not Taught to do that. And this is just one of those things that you have to go through life and learn eventually that you have to come to this space where you realize that you absolutely have to prioritize yourself. So, Ariel, I'm going to give you the floor. We're going to open up with who you are, what are your credentials, and what is self-compassion?
1: Wonderful. Um, so, a little background on me. I've been a nurse for the past six and a half years. I started out at an OBGYN for two years where I called people about their positive results. So it could be as simple as being positive for trick, as complicated as being positive for herpes. And people were very taken back by any positive test result that they might have had. So there was a lot of uh, nurturing and gentleness in in that type of dialogue. And how you present it to a person was very important. Um, I would notice that some people would get that type of news very harshly, just like, here it is. There you go. Um, so I've always come from a place of talking to people with connection and making sure that they hear that there's another human being on the other side of that phone when I told them something. Um, and going on with my career, I went into psych nursing. I managed group home settings with about 110 people who had mental disorders that had issues with um, how they could take care of themselves. So my company I worked for managed their health care, managed their food, hired staff to be in the homes to take care of them. And uh, from there, I moved to St. Louis and became a home health nurse. And with that, I traveled all around St. Louis City, and I still do that today. So traveling in and out of people's homes, getting to really see how they live, What their issues are, their diseases, how they're handling and caring for themselves. It's just natural to see that everybody really needs more positivity and nurturing for themselves. Uh, I started my yoga practice about four years ago. I was coming into a complicated place in my marriage. I was 22 years old, 23 years old. um, And that marriage wasn't serving me any longer and it was stuck in a place that wasn't going to propel me forward. And I had to make a decision to either accept the life that I've created or to change it. And so I chose to change it. I left my ex-husband. I prepared weeks in advance to do this. I got my own apartment. I had everything lined out. I pretty much only took my clothes with me. I left him everything else. And that was very important to me to like shed that process and in having in going through a divorce and being the one that actually chose to do it, there's a lot of shame that kind of comes along with it. Um, People are always saying, oh, why don't you try to make it work? Or, you know, you're married, that's sacred, you should protect that. But sometimes, you know, marriage just doesn't work, especially when we're so naive and young at times and we don't really know who we are. So in that process, that's where I learned a lot about self-compassion through yoga. Um, Yoga really just taught me to show up sober to my emotions. Because sometimes we can decide to drink or indulge in substance abuse or just indulge in a substance that's natural that everybody likes to have occasionally. But it can be purposeful to make us feel more connected in the world and in the social aspect we're in, or it can pull us away from our emotions and pull us away from what we're truly trying to experience so we can be able to move forward with life. And so for somebody to learn self-compassion, there's just really mindfulness comes into play. And that's something that I've learned along my yoga journey and life in general is to really just focus on what's present today and how I'm feeling in my body helps me to be more present with myself and being compassionate when I do feel anger, but my mind might say that I shouldn't feel that way. Or when I feel sad and I want to block it out with smoking, you know, a little bit of bud or having a glass of wine or something like that. You know, there, there's reasons why we have those inclinations. And it's about finding out the source of that need that we can actually propel forward and understand it better so we can have more self-compassion, so we can take care of ourselves through that process. Um, I've known people that have come up positive for situations, and there's like a whole process—an acceptance denial process. It's like grieving in a in a sense. So it's a systolic way of traveling through emotions that is so traumatic to an individual's identity. Um, and being able to have compassion during that process is very important because I'm sure anybody listening to this or any human being can relate to the fact that we're very harsh upon ourselves and we can talk very mean and down to ourselves about something. We can have a whole to-do list and we can do three things that really propelled us forward or made us do something good or make us feel good, but then we decide to look at all the things we didn't accomplish in that day. You know, we we beat ourselves up too much um, and it's something that we learn from childhood, and sometimes it can be influenced by parents, influenced by life experiences that make us more harsh upon ourselves. And like you were mentioning earlier, we don't really get taught about self-compassion. We don't get taught about these ways of being gentle with ourselves because we are human. Yeah. And the pure definition, like in my talk, of being human is being imperfect, like we we are very complicated we're very complex creatures we're spiritual beings having this human experience and we're trying to understand what the what the heck is going on like we're, we're just trying to wrap our brains around it. And every day, so much stuff comes in our way, comes, we take it into our bodies. We're so stimulated by our phones, by other people's perspective of us, what they say to us, you know, how they interact, how we interact with them. We react so much to everything. And mindfulness is really about implementing more of a response state instead of like always coming at it immediately, like taking in whatever somebody said, taking in a new diagnosis and being able to sit with that for a moment and be like, okay, you know, this is just an element of life. Like this isn't that big of a deal. We can work through this by educating ourselves on information out there about something like this, and we can turn it into more of a positive on how we choose to live and cope with what we're going through. And that's applicable to any experience that we have. We're humans. Things are going to happen to us that aren't fair, that, you know, it's just life. And it's about learning how we can curve with it versus forcing up against it. Like coming up to a brick wall. We can't move a brick wall. But we can learn to curve along the side of it to be able to be more gentle with that fluidity instead of trying to be so harsh. And we can work around the wall in a gentle way that doesn't make us hate ourselves.
0: Yeah. You mentioned earlier that we're not well. We both talked about not being taught self-compassion. Do you feel that there's any contrast there or polarity between self-compassion and then shame?
1: Yes, almost oh, definitely. If you take a moment with like everybody has a person in their life, mainly a fa- a family member. That like, puts a lot of guilt on them for not living a way that they wish that they would live. For example, for me, it's, it tends to be my mother. My mother wants me to live the certain way, have this haircut a certain style, like Bob in, in downtown Chicago, being a CEO of a business company. Like She's told me this flat out before. She's told me that my husband wasn't good enough and I should marry a hockey player that plays for the Blackhawks in the city of Chicago. So like there's these expectations that, is that very people specific. right very <laughs> specific. But there's there can be a, a certain person in our life that has these expectations of us. And if you can take a step back when you're having engagement with them and really see how they try to talk to you. Are they engaging you with empowering messages or empowering what you're choosing to do in your life or are they shaming you and guilting you? You know, you can kind of see that. And for me, that was very much my mother and very much still is my mother. You know, I can do all the great things I can, but there's still not going to be enough for her because I'm not living close enough to her. I'm not, you know, in the vicinity of being able to be around what she thinks I should be around. Um, But that's just where there's differences. But what I learned in, in being more aware of that relationship is that there's a lot of shame and guilt from that. And that's something that was established within me as a child. I felt shame and I got guilt trips when I didn't get straight A's, when I didn't do something a certain way. Like I felt very shameful that I didn't live up to a certain expectation. So it's easy to fall into that in in the future. Like we're, I like to think of our brains as computers. Like we get programmed from the second we're born, whatever our parents put in our lives and train us, teach us, you know, help us develop and go through certain experiences is all how we program ourselves. And then we get to a certain age where we're like, oh, like this is outdated. Like the internet's like, "Eh, eh, eh." like you ain't got no high speed Wi-Fi going through, like to really stream. Like you're getting this awful internet service, and you feel that with yourself. You feel yourself glitching at times, you know. And and so we have to learn to reprogram ourselves. And that's a thing called neuro linguistic practitioner is a person that can help establish that. And that's what I'm studying to be. Um, And they use um, neuroscience for the brain. And it's about finding ways that we're functioning, programs that we have, these limiting self-beliefs that we have about ourselves. Like a fundamental one for people is typically I'm not good enough. You know, we can all kind of resonate where we feel like we're not good enough. We don't bring enough worth. We're not valuable in a certain way. And that's not true, but that's a belief that we got established when we were young because maybe we didn't clean the house good enough. Maybe we didn't get the straight A's so we're not good enough. We're not not good enough for our parents' love. We're not good enough for love and all these joyful things in life. So getting to see that and then making the choice to actually create change towards it. And the change is like, one of the hardest parts to change a very ingrained habit that we have, that program that doesn't want to get out. It's like a virus and like you got to like rip it to shreds to get it out. Um, it's not pretty. You know, it it is a process. And, and that's where you have to be very mindful of your emotions and and going through that and understanding that it takes time. So accepting, you know, a positive diagnosis or accepting a traumatic experience that happened in life or accepting your childhood, whatever that is, there's a process to it. It's not like you wake up the next day and life's great. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not going to happen that way. There's ups and there's downs, there's ebbs and flows to it. And that's established with everything.
0: This whole, this word enough, not being enough, not having enough, not doing enough, It comes up often with people. It's like Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. What is that? What does that stuff even mean? When you're applying your self worth, your value, like you said earlier, we're spiritual beings having an in or a human experience, and we're in being a spiritual being. Like our limitations are really limitless. So, what is enough? Why are we? Is it because we're so closely identifying with certain aspects of our lives or our bodies even? Because people will think after a diagnosis that their sexual identity has now been compromised. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, oh, my God, no one's going to want me because I can't have sex with them without giving them this disease. And that's one of those things where it's like, are you so not enough now there because you've lost a few points in that area that... Nothing else about you is enough, or like mm-hmm. you just don't realize your limitless potential in being what it is that you are. So, what's another way that we can look at things when we start to say, "I don't feel like I'm enough," or "I that per- I'm not good enough"? Okay, basically. So, yeah. how can we reframe uh, or revisit that?
1: So, to revisit that that thing for me, I always boil down to knowledge. What can I learn about statistically? the situation. So for a positive herpes diagnosis, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, a person can go asymptomatic, meaning not expressing any symptoms at all, and have it and shed 10% of the days. Well, we have 365 days a year. So that means 36 days of the year, the person is shedding the virus that could pass to any to anyone. By touching thighs, it could pass, you know, but they show no symptoms. So how are they supposed to even know and be knowledgeable in that. And then you go to blood tests, and they're they're iffy. You know, there's not a very confirmed way to diagnose it. It is very iffy. And I think that along with that, when it sheds at those times, that's when you can get a really good reading from blood, necessarily, versus times that you might not be showing any symptoms. You get the blood test, and you might not be showing it. A person who has symptoms only sheds the virus 20% of the days. So that's 64 days, or... 72 days. Sorry, my math was low. 72 days out of the year, out of 365, that a person is shedding that virus. So the chances are, and especially, you know, just having multiple partners, chances are we've exposed ourselves to it. Pretty much one in four people, we expose ourselves without even knowing, without the partner possibly not even knowing. You know, so there's a high chance of having it. And in my experience with knowledge of like nutrition and holistic care, you can do certain things to keep yourself from expressing symptoms. You know, you can take care of yourself where you don't have any of those issues that can cause discomfort, that can cause embarrassment during sexual activity, you know, and to get back to not feeling good enough, there's, there's a lot more to it. And with knowing that type of knowledge, like you can accept it a lot easier, like, whoa, like, I, I imagine just everybody walks around with herpes, like just the idea of that, because it, it helps to realize that we're one in the same, you know, there's a lot of people out with this type of diagnosis with even more diagnoses with even more illnesses and diseases as I've seen as a home health nurse, as a nurse in general, and there's an acceptance pattern about it. But getting back to feeling good enough is about knowing that like you bring value you have value in yourself as an individual with being in a relationship with the person. And if you have something that you're, that compromises your sexual identity, with the right person, it's not going to be an issue. You know, with the right person, they're going to understand the knowledge behind it. They're going to understand how they might be exposed and they might possibly have been exposed before. And that person will show you and express that you are good enough. You know, so sometimes we have to find external validation. But it's a matter of like, how much do we search for that? You know, when we take a lot of selfies and we post ourselves in our physical bodies all over the place, you know, we're, we're trying to validate that we are good in that way. And granted, I've been in that position as a young female in my early 20s when I wasn't married. Like that's something that I utilized to express myself. And it was searching for that validation. And eventually I rolled into validating myself, you know, and doing things that make me feel good about myself. -hmm. So, like, if I were to get a diagnosis like that, then I would take the time needed to process it. Maybe it's that night. Maybe I eat a whole tub of ice cream. Like, I don't know what the fuck I would want to do. Like, just whatever screams to me at that moment to express, go to my best friend's house and tell her and and share that, or maybe not tell anybody at all and accept that and research and find podcasts that talk about it in a positive light. You know, reading more information to help myself accept that. And then once it's more accepted, then you're able to transform that into a belief that you are good enough because it's kind of falsely advocating like, oh, I'm good enough. When you don't feel good enough, when you don't have the knowledge, when you don't have the acceptance, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's a practice that people can do sometimes, um, mainly like women with weight loss, they'll stand in front of a mirror and say that they love their body, but they don't, you know? So how can, you're not really embodying that, that heart, that energy with it. By saying, I love my body when you don't, you know, so there's a practice that like you can start to do that a little bit. But if it feels fraudulent, then you shouldn't force it. You know, you should find other avenues to bring that to yourself to love your body. Maybe it's doing a yoga trapeze class. Maybe it's working out, you know, and then after that class, you feel good and you love your body because it provided that service for you to move. So in the sense of being in a relationship with somebody and having a positive diagnosis and wanting to feel good enough is really just accepting that aspect of yourself and accepting that it's only an element. It's not an identity marker. Mm -hmm. It's not who you are as a person. It is just something that you've obtained. And it's something that is very common, but it has a stigma along with it that isn't kind to people at times.
0: Yeah. You know... And so, you know, with all that said, like the stigma itself is literally the opinions of other people or it's what we think other people will think Mm -hmm. about us if they knew we had herpes. And so going back to that self-compassion it's and that being enough, why do you feel like you're not enough to these people, the people who you're so afraid of finding out? about your diagnosis or why you're struggling with life the way you are, or why you're experiencing the emotions that come with a diagnosis, or why your behaviors are being dictated by them. What's so bad about thinking that other people are gonna think certain things about you is the worst part about that whole thing is that these are your thoughts. So what is it that you think and believe about yourself mm-hmm. that's making you believe that the people you like, know, love, trust, care to get uh, establish deeper connections with What beliefs do you have about you that make you believe that those people are going to treat you like not that person that you believe yourself to be? Or are these even beliefs that you have? Are these beliefs your own? Or are these just the opinions of other people you're absorbing all the time and this is how your self-talk is so it's good to ask yourself that as well as you go along through this process taking it back to what you said about the looking at yourself in the mirror looking at your body saying i love my body i'm perfect as i am the whole concept of fake it till you make it mm-hmm. i'm learning that 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 doesn't work <laughs> no. it doesn't work and in fact it may even reassure The negative self talk Mm -hmm. that you have going on because while you're standing in front of the mirror and your eyes are seeing what you're seeing, and your brain's trying to rationalize, Oh, I look great, I feel great, I feel great, I look great. Really, the best thing that you can do is, like you said, use your body, go and do something with it so that you can appreciate it. The things that you feel so limited about with yourself, there are things that you can do, there are actions that you can take, and those Mm -hmm. may be the best things for you. And, um, I recently had a conversation with someone who was explaining how her depression worked for her and how um, I talked to someone else about it as well. And you really feel like you can't do anything. And the best advice I've gotten from these people has just been the days that they've been able to get through it are the days that they just made themselves get through it. Like make themselves do one thing at a time, get up out of the bed, go and make something to eat, Go and take a shower. Just get outside and get sunlight. Like being able to just be understanding and accept the fact that you are able to do what it is that you are doing. Don't focus on what you can't do enough of or what you're not enough of. Focus on the things that you're capable of doing. So if you can get up, put tennis shoes on, step outside, do that. You don't have to worry about running a mile or a marathon or 5k or to the gym and then working out, just do one thing, take one action, take one step. And that's really all you may need to get started. So in the realm of self-compassion, find that thing about yourself that you may not really appreciate, or you may be trying to fake it till you make it about, and then just challenge it. Challenge that thing. It's just like with the stigma. When you have a herpes diagnosis, when you have an STI diagnosis, you have this rush of just beliefs about who you are now as a result of this diagnosis. And you've not given yourself much time to challenge the stigma with what your experience is. And I believe that that's been the most one of the most useful things for people is being able to have their own experiences and say, that shit doesn't apply to me. So... Taking it back to self-compassion.
1: So there's three elements to self-compassion. First one is mindfulness. The second one is self-kindness. And then the third one is connectedness. So those points that you were making, like finding sources of support, you know, individuals that you can share your feelings with in an open dialogue, um, self-kindness. So a lot of that, like we've spoken about is that mental chatter, And what's helped me the most with my mindfulness practice, which is also an element in self-compassion, is realizing what our thoughts are. So if I have a thought that I just got diagnosed and I am awful and I'm putting shame onto myself because of this diagnosis, I work to label that thought. I work to say that is my ego. That is not me who I really am. Like there's there's a separation and our ego is so driven in our lives from childhood to present moment until we start to bring experiences and awareness to our life it's the only thing we know as our mind but there is a difference there is ego and then there is consciousness and that consciousness is what we want to get into have more time into that's where our awareness grows so in moments that we can get into our consciousness over ego is when we analyze our thoughts and in a way that just isn't so much of like oh, what is this and what is that and how do I take care of this? But just, is that ego or is that consciousness? Consciousness will tell you, how do you feel? What emotion are you feeling right now? How is your heart beating? What does it feel like to breathe in your body? You know, consci- where are you at? What is it, what, what's going on in the body when you're getting this diagnosis that you're informed of? Like, What are the thought processes that you have? How are you processing this information and accepting it? you know, need to cry, cry it out. I've cried in the middle of a grocery store for no reason unaware to me, but like I felt it and it had to come out, you know? So, so feeling those moments, that's pure awareness that's consciousness when we can get into that space but if we're in our head and we get newly diagnosed and we're like oh we're awful we're dirty we might have this we're not good enough now i'm gonna have to tell every sexual partner i have i'm gonna have to tell everybody i ever have sex with in the future it's gonna be so shameful it's gonna be awful to have that conversation nobody's gonna want to sleep with me those are all egos and that pace that's the pace that our ego can have because our ego tries to keep us small our ego wants to keep us in the small niche to protect us, to keep us in the space where it can control our behaviors and our actions. But when we can see that, when we can hear it, we can be like, that, that's okay. That's my ego. I appreciate it trying to make effort to keep me safe because that's typically what it's trying to do. Our ego is in relation to our inner child, experiences we've had, and our inner child is trying to keep us safe so it keeps us small so we don't have to worry about getting hurt. And so when we see that thoughts are ego-related, then we can pull ourselves into consciousness. And the way that I best pull myself into a conscious state is feel my heartbeat. Feel your lungs expand as you inhale on your next breath. Feel your body exhale and release that. You know, being present in the body. Where's your left toe at right now? Your left big toe. Can you wiggle it? You know, like being able to bring the awareness to the right big toe working up to your knees. What does your knees feel like right now? How is your body sitting in the chair or the furniture or the car seat in this moment? Where are you feeling pressure on your body from that? Those are moments of consciousness because you're finding where you are in time and space. You're able to check in with how you're feeling. You're not in the over thoughts of, you know, somebody cutting you off while you're driving or this new diagnosis or what that guy said at the restaurant or you know all this mental chatter that we try to keep ourselves busy with. It's about finding that peace, stepping back into that state of response versus react. That state of taking 2 seconds just to check in with yourself. You know, that that's where pure consciousness is and our ego clouds it all because we just run our minds like crazy. But the best way for self-compassion, for self-kindness, for evolvement for human beings is to step back into that state of consciousness. And that's where you will find self-compassion. That's where you will find that every single person you cross path with is exactly the same as you. I'm exactly as you. We're in different bodies. We look differently, but I'm exactly the same as you. And that's what it comes down to the purest form. So our physical elements, our physical life, that's just this spot now you know and we don't have to identify so much with certain things that happened in our life because our ego tends to make stories and then I tell everybody that I'm divorced and I was married for you know two years I was with the man for six and this was what my marriage was like and that shit don't matter that shit don't matter it was past it taught me lessons these are the lessons I came out of this marriage with and that's what I share with people In my experiences. Versus allowing that story to be the headliner. I'm going to share what value I brought from that experience. And that's what you want to derive from life.
0: Yeah. Because we can always look at what we can see, hear, touch, taste, smell. And view it for what it is. Like, okay, that's what it is. But when you crack open that shell or you spend time exchanging energy with someone. Then you get a better feel for who that person is, what this person's been through, what lessons they have to teach you. And it's just like you said, like when you're able to recognize that sameness in everybody, we're all the same. While we have our unique sets of experiences as an expression of that one being that we all are, like it's still, we we should be able to recognize that within one another and acknowledge the fact that people are going to be mirrors to us, the people around us are. And, challenging or putting those mirrors up to those people or having them hold them up like you can see elements of them that bring things out of you Mm -hmm. and those are the things that you really want to sit with and be with and put and put a little bit of investment of energy into so that you can understand why is it that I do these things or why do I feel this way in certain types of situations um and often we just don't do that I mean we're not talk to we have to learn these things. Mm-hmm.
1: Well and on your comment or your inquiry about being good enough, what I've learned in my own personal practice is that we tend to really value I'm a people pleaser. I, I like to make people happy and that in turn makes me happy. But that can be a downfall of mine too. Like in my marriage I was manipulative. I wanted to do things a certain way to hope that he would have an outcome that I expected out of the situation. And Covert that would have made me happy. Huh?
0: It's a covert contract.
1: Yeah, so like there, there was a lot of manipulation in that. That's an element that wasn't healthy that I was doing, and I saw that, so I removed myself from that situation. But in removing myself and regrowing, rebirthing, redeveloping, programming myself, I learned that I needed boundaries as a people pleaser, as a person that cared about other people's perspective of me, what they thought of me, what their opinion was, you know, those aren't very valuable to us, honestly. You know, and our, our worth, our self-worth tends to fall down when we care more about other people's perspective of us. So forming boundaries is very important. Like you can form boundaries with an individual to share only so much, you know, and you don't share more than that. So then you don't even give them the opportunity to have an opinion or perspective about a certain element of your life so you don't even have to hear it. You don't have to take that on. You know, deciding, even if I was going to tell somebody my whole life story and they had some opinions, or say, for example, my mother and her opinions, like, I will let her say them. I will hear them. I'll allow them to be in this space between us. I don't have to accept it. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to take her shame on. I don't have to take her guilt. And that's a choice. That's an active choice that we have to make in those exchanges. And that's where we decide that we're good enough to not take on that guilt and shame. To not allow somebody else's perspective to determine how we feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really have to learn and establish as we grow and we adult.
0: Yeah. Is For us to learn that we have a choice, does it usually take some sort of a traumatic event like a diagnosis to occur to send us down a path of learning okay, I have a choice in how to respond to this. I have a choice of what I'm going to allow into my space, what kind of energy I'm going to bring into a space. How do we get to that? How do we get to realize we have a choice when after a diagnosis, things are just so dark, like I'm in a state of despair and there is no hope and I don't want to hear that shit. I don't want to hear this positivity shit. I don't want to hear it's going to be okay. I don't want to hear it's not the end of the world. I don't want to hear none of that shit. I'm pissed.
1: Yeah. And it's okay to be pissed. There, there's, there's times in life to be pissed. There's times in life that we have anger and it's normal. It's a human reaction to have its human emotion. It's about how do we channel that? I will literally, when I get really angry, I will go out to the woods and take a wooden bat and beat the crap out of dead trees on the ground and watch them shatter at my strength. Like that is a way that I get anger out because I've found an avenue that I can release it you know, smashing a pillow against the bed or just screaming at the top of my lungs. Like whatever I have to do to like shake it out of me is what I do. So it's appropriate to have anger. It's, you don't have to shame yourself for that. You don't have to be like, I shouldn't be angry, blah, 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 blah. I did this to myself or, you know, I deserve this or whatever that might be. But you have anger and it's okay. You know, it's a huge life change. It's about channeling that anger in ways that is productive Because you're not going to want to hear the positivity shit coming at you when you've got all this anger bottled up, all this darkness, all this need to just release. Otherwise, it's heaviness and you're just heavy and you're carrying it around with you. And you don't want to hear stuff that lightens up a room, that makes people smile, that does any of that. When you feel heavy, you want to let it go. So it's about finding ways to let that go. A lot of people find that in weight training. I used to weight lift. I loved weight lifting. It helped me channel my anger. When I was really upset, I would go lift some weights. I mainly liked legs with a hexagon bar. My max was 176 for pounds. Yeah, right? Um, but like, there's there's elements of taking care of ourselves. And that's like the most fundamental thing about being human that we don't get to learn. Is that we can take care of ourselves. We can allow ourselves to be happy even if something shitty just happened. We can allow ourselves to express deep anger and sadness in the most public ways because once you get to a place that you don't care about other people's perspective of you, especially individuals that aren't immediate, that aren't in your life and very pertinent to you, other people, like I said, crying in the middle of the grocery store. And I mean ugly girl crying. Like, balls of tears coming down like I didn't care it was on my sweater like I was just grabbing spaghetti off the shelf like grocery shopping to tears and people look at me like I'm crazy I'm used to that I'm used to people seeing me in that light and I don't care what they think anymore what I care about is what I think and what I feel about myself and there's certain ways that you can get to that spot but it's a gradual process it's not going to be something that happens overnight and that's been the hardest lesson I've learned Because we're in a a day and age of instant gratification. Like, I can buy something on Amazon and it will be on my doorstep in two days. One day if I want to pay extra. Like, you know, the craziness of immediate gratification that we can get is insane. And when it comes to real change in our behaviors, our habits, our thinking, that doesn't happen that fast. That is every decision type of choice. Like, you make a choice in the thought that you're having right now to whether you accept the negativity or you choose to move on past it by allowing it to be a little bit less heavy you know because we can choose we can have this thought this positive diagnosis came on and we can you know be heavy in that and we can carry that around or we can choose to bring light on it and how do we bring light on anything that's dark with knowledge Knowledge is what brings us light with community, with hearing other people have a similar experience, with knowing that we're not the only person with this going on in our lives, finding connectedness with one another, doing things that move our body, that make us feel healthy and happy, eating our favorite dinner. like Whatever that is, that's how we become lighter. And we can have traumatic experiences. And a lot of this self-work, this development, I believe comes from a traumatic spot. Like you, something traumatic happens in your life, whether it's early childhood or it happened yesterday, like something traumatic happens. We kind of have an out of body experience, like accepting it, like, oh, it didn't happen to us. That wasn't our body. Like, no, that's not possible. And then we move more into accepting like, okay, this is real. This is something I'm going on in my life. And now I'm feeling negative. Now I'm feeling this darkness. Okay. What can I do at this moment to take care of myself, to help bring it a little bit lighter and closer to acceptance? this podcast has been really great about just expressing how self-compassion can be very relatable um, and to be gentle, just to be gentle.
0: We don't have part. to be so
1: hard on ourselves. Like life is hard enough. Other people's opinions are hard enough. Like just be a present with where you are today. Like you were saying, get up, feed yourself something healthy, take a shower, like be very mindful in those moments And that will bring you joy. You will find peace in those moments and not so much what these projections are that we carry in our mind and what the ego likes to remind us of every single day. So just be gentle, and that's the biggest key.
0: Now, Ariel, two last names. How can people get in contact with you?
1: Um, I'm on Facebook as Ariel Rochelle. I'm developing the brand, Identity. It's getting um, its own little fonts and colors and all of that fun stuff. Um, and I will be having a website, but I'm in the city, I'm doing workshops and I talk at Venture Cafe once a month. Um, so you'll, you'll be hearing Vibrantly Mindful around so Good. people can definitely chime in. All
0: right. Well, by the time this is uploaded, I hope you'll have the website up so I can just link all of that in the show notes too. Yeah. Cool. I'll and, work on that. Um, what about on social media? If anyone wants to like send you a message or talk yeah. more about this.
1: Um, social media presence isn't that large, but there is, um, a social media account at Vibrantly Mindful. Um, that is the Instagram account. There's also a Facebook page and that is what I'm working on in 2019 to be a lot more present with content on self-compassion, on mindfulness, on all those different elements that are very applicable to every single person.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: If you like this episode, please like, rate, review, subscribe to share this podcast. I hope to be able to do a lot more of these where we're able to just bring more valuable information to you guys. Um, Like I said, the self-acceptance episode was good. I'm hoping that people are able to get some use out of this self-compassion episode as well so that we can all just come out of this and be able to open up comfortably among ourselves and be able to utilize our support groups because what happens is when everyone realizes they know someone who's living with or affected by herpes or any SCI, really, I think that's when we begin to see that the stigma just, we, we begin to see it for what it is and expose it because it cannot live where truth is because it's based upon lies. <laughs> so we want to encourage people to tap into their support systems. And hopefully this episode is able to get us to a place where we're able to be comfortable enough with ourselves to where we can share with one person and then maybe another person. And like I said, the more people who know, the more people that are more empathetic and knowledgeable about it so that when someone's disclosing to them, they know how to handle it. Or if they need to disclose, they know where they can go for more information or if they need help with anything. So that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Till next time, stay positive.